0: Unless you've been living under a rock for the last few years, you've experienced and probably even participated in the national conversation around immigration. The conversation has only become more heated and more divisive in the last few months as some politicians have been increasing their rhetoric around the quote-unquote caravan of people passing through Latin America. The conversation around immigration in the United States is nuanced, and it's tricky, and it always has been, but we've seen a growth of fear-mongering and bad faith reporting around the issue, and it hasn't helped anything. This week, I'm so excited to have my friend Gustavo Guerrero on the podcast to have what I hope is a healthier conversation around immigration, and even more specifically, the immigrant experience. We don't claim to have all of the answers, but I love that we got to ask some great questions questions. Gustavo Guerrero was born in a small town in Honduras in April of 1992. After being raised by his aunt, Gustavo became an immigrant to America at the age of 12 after he moved to South Carolina to live with his parents. Gustavo is a talented musician and this is actually how we first got connected and his love for music became apparent early in his life when at the age of 6 he created his own drum set out of paint cans and kitchen pots and pans. While attending high school, he found refuge in the music room as he learned more about music, himself, and North American culture. As a dreamer, he is passionate about advocating for human rights, immigration reform, and civil and political rights. His bilingual cover of John Lennon's hit song, Imagine, with YouTuber Alex G., has reached over 4 million views. And in 2017, the DNC chose their cover as part of their campaign to fight for the DREAM Act to protect almost 800,000 immigrants. Gustavo has performed for and met with prominent political figures like Senators Cory Booker and Bernie Sanders. I'm Brandon Harvey, and this is Sounds Good. This is the weekly podcast where we have conversations with inspiring people who are rejecting cynicism and using their lives to make an impact. Sounds Good is not your typical three steps to success podcast. We don't host this podcast for the sake of leaving you with bullet points on self-improvement. We deeply believe that our lives are more complex than that. And so we show up here on Sounds Good to ask big questions, dive into nuance, and learn from each other's stories. One of Gustavo's favorite quotes is from Anne Lamott. She said, every time we choose the good action or response, the decent, the valuable, it builds. It builds. Incrementally, to renewal, resurrection, the place of newness, freedom, justice. With that in mind, let's jump straight into this conversation. Did you ever watch that documentary? It's called, like, Being George Clooney or something like that? I don't think so. So it's about voice actors yeah, and, like, the people who, like... When George Clooney does a movie, and they want to make it, they want to dub it over in Spanish. Yeah, who they bring in to do George Clooney's voice in Spanish, and then who they bring in to do it in Portuguese and in French, Uh, and all of those people who are like,
1: it's it's a fascinating. Yeah, it might
0: even be free on Netflix. I don't remember. Yeah,
1: it's interesting. I grew up watching cartoons in Spanish, so like it was always the same the same guy. Like whoever does Homer Simpson in Spanish. It's like Homer Simpson in Spanish. That's like, amazing. There's nobody else that does it. It's really cool. There's um, a,
0: a TV show on Netflix called Money Heist. Yeah. Uh, and it's made in Spain. And I think it's in Spanish. Uh, but I watched the whole thing dubbed in English. Oh, wow. wow. And I loved it. It's That's like so one of my funny. favorite shows. Yeah. Uh, it's a terrible show, but it, like, yeah. I love heist movies. Yeah. Um, That's
1: cool. That's cool that it's like backwards it's yeah it, it was nice being english. backwards i don't yeah. think
0: that it was i don't know what it's like to be dubbed the other way it didn't seem like a very great dub but yeah. it was good enough that i could like follow it all
1: uh, i think that the, you have issues when you're bilingual with that stuff that makes because sense when you're not bilingual you don't see the difference for example there's certain things i you remember the movie coco like coco yes, yes so i i that movie in english is phenomenal but if you watch it in spanish it's just and if you understand spanish it's just a whole different level of like amazing you know yeah yeah. because it's the movie's supposed to be like in mexico you know yeah and in english it makes sense and it's cool they make some they make some words but anyways yeah so do you think
0: it was almost kind of primarily written in spanish
1: i think it was primarily written in english but with a bilingual perspective great because the people who made it are like bilingual people yeah they brought in a
0: good a good team yeah yeah because it 10 years ago they would have just had all white people yeah, making it yeah oh no and it was now like they're like diversity. being a little bit more thoughtful
1: yeah but when you're bilingual you have those issues like something sound better sense. in spanish and that's why i'm doing spanish music right now yeah because i know that i could i could deliver better content at least with my words in spanish than in english yeah so I, I had to recognize that you know i had to come to terms with myself and say no i should do spanish music first and then figure out and who knows maybe yeah. i never do english music like yeah you know, i wouldn't and that's great. I would be cool with it. Yeah. Know? I mean, right now in Billboard Top 100 or whatever, I mean, there is at least like 15 Spanish songs completely that is true. in Spanish. Like, yeah, it's that's it's the best time for Spanish music right now in, in in the world. Yeah. Like, I mean, right now, I think Top uh, Drake did a uh, song completely in Spanish. Really? And it was like top uh, uh, five. Does he, does he speak Spanish, he doesn't or did speak he Spanish. learn it for the? For he the just song? learned it for the song. That's he doesn't speak Spanish. Fascinating. But ever since ever yeah. since Espacito. With Justin Bieber, yep. that was like a, and I'm even though you know I wasn't really that big of a fan of the song, yeah. but though it was fun, that was like a, a really great thing for Spanish musicians, yeah, because it opened up the ears of Americans or English speakers who are not necessarily open to Spanish music at yeah. first. And so it was great for us. Well, and even you know, most pop music isn't necessarily lyrically yeah. driven. And so <laughs> yeah. I don't know what they're yeah. saying in yeah. just, you know, Like I speak yeah.
0: English and a tiny bit of French. Yeah. Uh, and uh, but it's fun. but I love it. Yeah, like it's, it's great. fun. Yeah. And so I mean, and it's really similar to the approach that K-pop has. Yeah. So yeah. K-pop Especially is interesting. for North Americans. Exactly. Yeah. Because K-pop is very like multi-genre, yeah. multilingual. Sometimes. Yeah. Uh, and it's. Now that, you know, with globalization and the yeah. internet, uh, the way that we can all connect through entertainment and music is yeah. fascinating. It's awesome.
1: I love it. Yep. I, I started listening to this big, I'm sure you know their name. I don't remember. It's a big uh, K-pop band. Anyways, it has nothing to do with what we're saying. But it was like <laughs> interesting because like, I have so much music yeah. influences in my head. Like I grew up in Latin America and with Latin American music. And it's like, wow, it's so much music in my head. So yeah. I can use a little bit of that. That's why when you hear my songs in this EP, you will be like, what the, what is this? <laughs> it's like, <laughs> I'm a whole, so pumped. It's like a mix, but it's done really well. Like, my producers did a great job, like limiting myself. They That's were like, good. no, you can't go that far. That's I wanted good. to do like this, like, folk, completely folk, like um, South American folk music, song. And they were like, it's great. If you were like authentically South American and you were doing that kind of music, yeah. so you had to stay true to also who you are. Like, bring your influences, yeah, but also put your imprint in your music. That makes sense, you know? yeah. Especially,
0: you know, th- is this your first EP?
1: This is my first, yeah, yeah. yeah. So that
0: makes sense. Also, though, let's uh, let's back up a little bit. And how did you get started in the world of music?
1: Yeah, I think it started in church. Okay, my grandpa is a pastor, and I remember one time. The worship leader had to move to a different town. How old do you think you were? I think, I mean, I was eight. Okay. Like, I was about eight or nine, and the worship leader had to move to a different town, and my grandpa needed a new uh, piano player, or you know, somebody that plays the keys. Huh. And uh, but at the time, I was already playing drums, like you know, <laughs> until I transitioned from drums to piano because the worship leader moved, and I was so I remember being so angry about it because. I love drums. I yeah. want to be a professional drummer. I think most musicians start like that. You know, they want to yeah. be professional drummers, and and then like my grandpa was like, "No, we need a piano player now." And then and when did you start playing drums? You think what age? I started playing drums like when I was maybe five. That's but, like, outrageous. Like, Pain cans. Is you your know? family musical? My um, so here's a really really interesting thing about my family. My grandfather was a very non well known folk musician in Honduras so he wrote a lot of like national folk songs the same grandfather that was a pastor no this is my grandfather from my mother's side got it okay so this is a whole whole completely different side of the the family but uh, he was a folk musician in Honduras so I I think I inherited from him Yeah. even though he never recognized us as like their grandchildren because he had a lot of them Hmm. he was just a you know wild man (laughs) is it is so, it wrong to say that this sounds
0: very similar to Coco? Is I that- mean,
1: it sounds very similar. That's why I cried so many times during yeah. that movie. Because my grand even though Coco at the end you realize yeah. Like, sorry for the spoilers, but at the end you realize <laughs> that like it's not about fame or yeah. chasing, you know, money, but it's about family. And my grand my grandpa was always about not necessarily fame, but woman. Got like it. he was just a womanizer in general. Like uh and so but he was, you know, he was a really talented man. and He did a lot of great things for the country of Honduras as, a, as a musician. Fascinating. Um, so, yeah.
0: And it was in your blood. And so you played drums. And then one day you had to change over to piano.
1: Yeah. It was always because of out of necessity. Like the huh. piano player left. But yet my grandpa didn't tell me that he also needed a worship leader. He just randomly told me on a Sunday morning, like, hey, can you sing this song? And, I mean, I am I still don't consider myself a trained, I'm not a trained singer, you know. I sing because I have to. <laughs> <But> <laughs> I think you're a great singer. Thank you very I much. I love your voice. Thank you very much. So my grandpa was like, I think, can you sing? I, I remember this song. I remember that song, Nothing by the Lord of Jesus or something yeah. like that. It was that song okay. in Spanish, obviously. And he told me, like, could you sing this song, like, today? I was like, what? You know, but at the time, you don't really think about it much. You yeah. just do what your grandpa tells you or what the pastor wanted. And that was the same for me when I transitioned to guitar. You know, it was I play guitar, bass, piano, and a little bit of drums, and it's been the same reason why I wow. play this instrument. Is because sometimes we had a piano player but not a bass player, so I was like, I got, I had to jump into the bass, et cetera. And I feel like it's very a lot of musicians can relate to that because yeah. I feel like a lot of people start that way in church. You know, um, so yeah, fascinating. Okay,
0: so at what age do you feel like you had learned all of these instruments?
1: I think. I'm i still, obviously, you can never stop yeah, learning, yeah. but I feel like I took the guitar as my main instrument the moment I started writing songs because okay. you could take it different places. So when I was 12, I started writing songs, mostly church music, and that's when the guitar became my main instrument. And to this day, I think I don't play much piano. as much. I, I, I can, I'm fluent at piano, but I don't use it anymore because I don't necessarily... Right now, this season in my life, yeah. the guitar has taken the lead yeah. as the main instrument. And um, I mean, you're a great guitar player too. Thank you very much. I, I I tell people that I play only what I need. Like, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. <laughs> like I always hire lead guitar players when I'm doing like live shows, for example, because they play great lead, but, but sometimes they don't seem to know how to play the things I play. Mm. It's so interesting. Some, yeah. some of them are trained musicians. They're like, I don't understand what you're trying to do. Or they tell me like, Oh, this is really awesome. Like, How do you come up with this? I'm like, I just, it just, Sounded cool, <laughs>
0: and it and so you you're like fully self-taught.
1: Yeah, yeah. Even though I was in uh, training jazz uh, when I was in high school, I did jazz band. Okay, so I, I did had four years of. I guess if you want to count that high school training, I think know, it counts. Yeah, yeah. I was I was playing piano for the jazz band. And Got it. Yeah. And then I was in choir in school, but that's my only training. And then like you know on my own YouTube videos, you know. Yep. No. So, YouTube's amazing. Yeah. Thank God for YouTube. <laughs> so,
0: at uh, what age did you uh, move to the United States from Honduras? So, I
1: was 12, about to be 13, when my parents brought me here. They were already living in South Carolina. And so, and I, you were in Honduras. Yeah.
0: Were you like living with your
1: grandparents? I was living with my aunt and my uncle. Okay. Which, for me, they were my parents because okay. like my parents left me when I was uh, really young I think six or five mm. years old. So, for me, the only parents I knew were my uncle and my aunt. Interesting. Yeah. And did they have kids too? Yeah, it was uh my uh, they had uh two little um kids, two little boys. So my younger cousins. Okay. They're they're like my brothers now.
0: What do you remember life being like outside of learning music and stuff?
1: Yeah, life in Honduras at the time because I know it's changed a lot. I I come from a really small town. Like we have dirt roads, but yet it's not like tribal style like yeah. you still have McDonald's and all this like American <laughs> things you Yeah, know? you can find a McDonald's anywhere you go in the world <laughs> and, but we had a very very minimalistic simple life like life was always about getting up you know having breakfast going to school for me or my parents Oh, uh, my uncle you see I with yeah. my parents my uncle and my aunt they, they own like a they had a company that built doors like it's interesting you know and all types of doors and so they would do that kind of work and uh, so, yeah, life was very simple, you know, just riding my bicycle. I remember always having my real parents in the U.S., but I I liked it more because of what they sent me. They would send mm. me cool stuff. That's like awesome. The Converse All Star shoes, for example. Like I was, I think I was the first one in my town to wow. have them. Wow. So I was in a way I was kind of spoiled by my uh, parents living in the U.S. It would put me in a different space from everybody else because I would have the cool toys, and it was yeah. not like the. Rich stuff. It was like simple things, like a little Yamaha keyboard, yeah. like a $100 keyboard, you know? And so, yeah, that it was very, life in Honduras for me was very peaceful, slow-paced, secure. You know, it was, it was yeah. I felt right at home. Interesting, ironically enough.
0: Yeah. Yeah. What inspired your parents to move to the U.S.?
1: I've asked my parents this question before, like now as an adult, because I've heard so many stories about it. And I think that when I was a kid, they would try to hide the real reasons why they moved. But according to my father, they moved here because they had a big bank of uh, payment that they had to do. The bank was going to take their home away if they didn't pay a certain amount. Their of home money. in Honduras. Yeah. yeah. Okay. They had a debt uh, with the bank. Because my, my grandpa was also a farmer. So we went through a drought back in uh, 1999 because of a hurricane. Uh, yeah. Hurricane Mitch that destroyed Central America. Um, the worst hurricane in history of Honduras. So my grandpa lost it all because of the hurricane. So my dad was going to lose his house as well as my grandparents. So my dad was like, I'm going to have to go to the U.S. to get this money so we can pay the bank back and we can you know, still keep our homes. Yeah. So he moved here by himself for that reason back in 1999. Got it. Yeah. Okay.
0: Did he have a, like a plan? Did he have a, a job lined up or he's just like we're going to show up and we're going to we're going to find something?
1: His plan was literally to come here to work for 2 years. Okay. And w- the work that he does in Honduras, he's a, he's a high school teacher, mm-hmm. but he wasn't able to do it here because he was not bilingual and also like it works differently. You have to have accreditation from the US um oh, you know, to yeah. teach. Yeah. And so the only work he could do is, you know, labor, blue collar labor jobs. So, he did construction work for a while, um, security guard. Like, he did a lot of random jobs. But the plan was always for him to go back to Honduras after two years. Mm. But the thing, what happens when you come to the US is that you realize how awesome things are here. And you're like, oh my gosh, like I could make, you know, so much money here in a month. Yeah. And that would take me three years to make in Honduras. Yeah. So, that kept him here. And he was yeah. like, I'm going to say one more year, one more year. And now, like, 20-something years later, it's like, not only he he's still here, but his whole family is here now. Yeah.
0: Well, and it's fascinating to me, and I think that people don't think about this that often, that your dad was a skilled, you know, educated teacher, mm-hmm. and then he was working a blue-collar job in the United States. Yeah. You know, like, he's he's not somebody who was working a blue-collar job in Honduras.
1: Yeah. And he was making Dovo, if not more, here as a construction worker than as a teacher and by the way this is still true to this day like wow a housekeeper here makes more than a doctor in Honduras sometimes wow and I know this sounds exaggerating but you can look it up it's true and I have friends that are professionals in Honduras that move here because of necessity and then they do blue collar jobs but they get way more money a, a year than they would get practicing you know their professional careers in Honduras. And I'm sure it's true for a lot of countries, especially third world countries.
0: Okay, so your dad is in the United States. He stays longer than his planned, two years. When does your mom come to the U.S.?
1: So my mom came nine months after my dad left Honduras because the plan was for her to take care of us. But I think things were shaking their relationship, or I don't know exactly why, but eventually, nine months later, my mom came to the u.s to reunite with my dad got it got it and then that's like the whole that's how the whole story began for us is because after they moved here you know they were thinking about staying for a few more years and then come back you know to raise us in Honduras but things just you know years just go by like like days you know yeah and things just come out in a different way that you planned sometimes and for them it was that
0: did it feel weird that your parents had left you
1: yeah, I mean, I grew up thinking that they had abandoned me. Mm. And I remember it was really hard for me. I was the older, you know, son because I have a sister. She's uh, 22 now. but So I was the one, I think, that was affected the most. It, it was a very emotional, a traumatic experience for me because I remember my mom. I still remember to this day when my mom left. I don't remember when my dad left. But I, I'm closer to my mom, I guess. And I remember when she left and she left me her Bible. I remember this like so clearly. And she told me, you know, I'm going to come back. Please don't forget me. And Mm. first it was like, I was so sad. I was crying. And then I became indifferent. And then I became to the point where I was like, you're not my mom anymore. Uh, My mom is my aunt, you know, and you left me for U.S. dollars. That's how I would would think it as a kid. I didn't understand as a kid what money was, you know, or like paying bills or anything. Yeah. So now I look back and I'm like, oh my gosh, you know. But obviously a kid is not supposed to understand yeah. these things. When you're five, six, all you know is that you want to be with your dad and with your mom. You don't know where food comes from, you know, and so it it was that for me. And so it was, I had to heal from that as a kid. When they asked me to come to the U.S., I say no, by the way. And this is the story really? that many people don't know. is Most people that are brought here, it's not that they want to be brought yeah. here. But they have no other choice because they're minors. You know, Minors, that's how yeah. I say that. Yeah. And so you have to just do what your parents say. I never wanted to come here. My life in Honduras was, for me as a teenager, obviously, when I was 11 or 12, I was really good in Honduras. I had friends, church. I was playing the yeah. music. And it was great. I and was. you didn't know the difference mic- either. No, not at all. I thought it was, see, the U.S. has always been this promised land idea. This concept of a promised land for Latin Americans, especially for Honduras, I, I can speak for my con for a whole country. But for most people I know that are immigrating or migrating to the U.S., to them it's like, no, the U.S. is the promised land. You know, we have to go through the desert, like in this but, case, literally. Yeah, you know, and it, then to to get here. But that was the idea. For me, it was like it's a promised land, but I love where I am. I don't want to move there. I would rather my parents to come back to Honduras. But, you know, when you're 11, you don't know. Like, I mean, I, I think it. my parents did the best they could. Yeah. Yeah.
0: What's the process to, like, getting to the United States from Honduras? then? what was it for your parents? And then what was it for you?
1: Okay, so my parents tried to get visa, but it was not given to them. And, again, this response to many questions that people have or ask me, you know, why didn't you do it the legal way? Because... You know, I have to say we came illegally, like pretty much. When my parents, when my dad went to ask for a visa, he explained to the embassy his situation. I have this debt. I have to make some money. If not, my house is going to be taken away. And but they don't give you a visa unless you know you have a lot of money, and oh. you have like you have to own land. Like this is something also that many people don't know. Yeah, I didn't know that. You have to be. Uh, how do you say, land owner? Like yeah. you have to own land and you have to have possessions. You had to prove to the U.S. Embassy that you have a lot of things in Honduras in order for them to give you a visa. And I understand, you know, I get it. You, they want to bring people that are educated, people that are not going to stay here, but they're going to go back to their country. Oh, I get it. Yeah, so so they, Because
0: they're like, oh, you've got a vested interest in yeah, coming back to Honduras. Exactly. And is it is it Honduras that denied them or the United States that denied them?
1: No, this is the U.S. Embassy. Okay. Yeah. Got it. The U.S. Embassy in Honduras. Got it. So you okay. go to the capital. Typically, you go to the capital of the country, and then you apply. You bring your papers. You bring your possessions. You bring your titles, whatever you have. And then they say, mm, we're going to give you the visa, or we won't give you the visa. And so despite the hurricane and then
0: the drought, there was they weren't like bringing in more people or
1: anything? No, not at all. I mean, it's always, this is something, again, that people don't know. It's always been really hard for third world countries to get approved of a visa to come to the US. If you're from Spain, easy, quick. If you're from Chile, Argentina, easier because you are from a first world country, which typically gives you a better chance, you know? Got it. But countries in Central America, we have it really hard. It has always been that way, always. You know, during the Bush administration, during the Obama administration, now it's even harder, but it's always been really difficult. Uh, during the Clinton administration, I've heard that there was amnesty happening, so yeah. it was easier for people to come. But anyway, so you know, many people go to the embassy to ask for a visa, and the problem here is that it's expensive. You know, to apply for a visa, mm. it's really, really expensive,
0: and you're not guaranteed that you're gonna yeah, get it.
1: Yeah, it's like playing the lottery. You know, you put your money in, you go, but you show up, but you don't know if you're yeah. gonna get it. Most people. I think 90% of people that apply don't get it. Mm. And the 10% are people who come here only as tourists and, you know, to vacation in the U.S. And so, yeah, so after their visa getting denied, you know, my mom went through the same process. We went through the same process, too, by the way. We all went to the U.S. Embassy in Honduras to try to apply for visa. And my parents spent more than $5,000 in 2006, you know, to try to get us here legally, you know, and then it didn't work that way. So for us, it was more things were getting crazy in Honduras with crime and, you know, gangs. And a lot of the kids that had parents in the U.S. were being threatened. Like they were kidnapping kids that had parents in the U.S. because these people that were doing these things had this idea that because they're in the U.S. they can, they have access to more money. So my parents were afraid that we were going to get kidnapped because they were, we were written in a list. It's funny how these things work because yeah. like the gossip around town was so quick that you heard, oh, so-and-so is on the list to being kidnapped. And Whoa. so, yeah, so the rumors start- started spreading. My parents were like, we have to get you guys out of there.
0: Yeah. So, and it's interesting how the whole thing is cyclical. So you have a hurricane and then a drought that creates an economic issue. And yeah. And your parents are like, okay, well, we have to solve this economic issue and we're going to Try to apply for a visa. Yeah. That doesn't work. So then they're like, okay, well, we're going to lose our job and our property yeah. if we don't do something. So, you know, we're driven to do this thing. And then it's like, okay, now that we're in this situation, now our kid is in danger.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And I think it, it's a very similar story for everybody, even the European migrants started coming in the 40s or during the or or during first world war and it was the same thing you know they first came you know to get some money and get back but they saw how awesome things were here they were like what if we try to bring our family and have a better life here especially I'm not a parent so I don't know what it feels like to say you know I want to give my kid a better future and so even though I didn't like coming here at first I, I always tell my parents when I see them now it's like thank you for bringing me here because i would probably be dead by now if i had not come to the us. Mm. So yeah,
0: what what are the lives of your peers back in honduras like?
1: So right now especially as we talk, you know, there is a lot of crisis, there's a big crisis going on in the country. Uh the current president, you know, pretty much changed the constitution to be voted again into office. Mm. And so most people know that it, it was corrupted the way yeah. he got elected. And it's affected the whole country because it created a crisis between the two parties, you know, the left and the right, and then a lot of a lot more crime. Honduras, I think, is uh, amongst the most dangerous countries in the world, if not wow. the second most dangerous country in Latin America. And so, the life of my peers is just constant sorrows, you know, trying to survive, trying to stay safe. They don't go out of the house after nine p.m. My sister was recently in Honduras visiting, and she said that after a certain time, like 9 p.m., like nobody gets out of the house because you get shot or you get kidnapped or, you know. Wow. So it's very bad right now. And I'm sure that there's great things about it, about Honduras, you know, about my country. But the everyday life is really tough right now for this, most citizens, especially for the lower class or middle class citizens in the country. Um, That's why you have the crisis going on in the caravan. You know, many people living in huge groups you know, like seven thousand people, you know, marching yeah. through Guatemala and Mexico, you know, risking their life because there's no option for them.
0: Well, and you know, it's not a caravan because they're trying to intimidate or scare anybody. It's a caravan because that's the safest way to yeah.
1: to move through, yeah, you know, like move north. Yeah, they find comfort in other people. Uh, you feel safer, you know, because you don't only have to cross the border the u s and mexican border remember you have, as a Honduran citizen, you pass through Guatemala illegally as well and also through mexico illegally as well and here's something that most people don't know and they when I tell them this they get shocked the Mexican government or the Mexican border patrol the Mexican you know police officers are typically they're typically worse when it comes to human dignity than the mm. u s border patrol meaning the u s government has a bit more compassion towards immigrants than the mexican government and i know i'm um, if if you're mexican and you're hearing this you know i know it's, it gets you angry because it's not supposed to be that way but it just there's more corruption in latin america than there is in the u.s you know there's there's corruption in every government but i can say that there's more in in, in mexico because of the way they treat their immigrants right now the mexican government has killed five people already in the caravan oh wow yeah intentionally like they have helicopters. You know, flying low eh, when people are swimming the rivers, you know, so they can either go back or drown. And yesterday I heard the story of a young boy, like 18-year-old that drowned in the river because of that. It makes me really angry because we don't treat our immigrants the way we should treat them either in our countries. And then we come to the U.S. asking for good treatment. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So this is a shame that happens in every country.
0: I'm sure there's a lot of components to it, but I think there's a fear of the other, and yeah. I think there's a fear of of change, yeah. Change is scary, like that's very valid. Fear of the other is less valid, yeah. But it, I think it's a universal experience. It is.
1: It's not the only. The U.S. is not the only country that has a bad reputation when it comes to how they treat their immigrants. In fact, sometimes we are more merciful here than in other countries. Yeah,
0: yeah. I mean, in our our roots are a root of of showing mercy to immigrants. Yeah. But I think we oftentimes forget that. And I think it's, you know, again, it's, it's hard to hold on to those. I it
1: think. is. And we are a nation of immigrants. You know, it, this is, this was a land that didn't belong to us in the beginning. And so ultimately I think that's why the U S has been that promised land, you know, the statue of Liberty, give me your poor, your tired, yeah. because it, that's what it signified for many people in Europe, you know, at the time, and that's why they came here. You know, I I saw a meme recently of a, a vo like a big boat or like almost like a cruise, you know. Oh, yeah, yeah, that. like a cruise ship. Yeah, yeah, with like tons of European immigrants. And the meme says something like, you know, this was also a caravan. You know what I'm saying? Because yeah. Europeans saw a lot of, a big group going, migrating to America. They were like, you know what? I, I could probably pull it off too and just join them. So you see back in the 30s, 20s, you know, this like huge boats of like Italian immigrants or German immigrants coming to the, the, to New York city. Yeah. <laughs> so these caravans have been happening for a long time. You know, the group, big group of immigrants coming <laughs> to a better life has been yeah. happening for a while. Yeah. I hadn't thought of yeah. it that way. It's just that we are now seeing it more than ever because of social media.
0: Yeah. And, and I mean, cable news yeah. and fear mongering. Yeah. Like that was, I mean, it's wild. It was, uh, I think it was last night on Fox News, which is super surprising. Shep Smith, I think is his name. He's an anchor. Uh, He's probably the most level-headed anchor on Fox News. And he essentially says, hey guys, so there's this caravan coming that everybody's telling you about. They're a thousand miles away still. On foot, Like it's going to take them two months to reach the U.S.-Mexico border. If they even make it to the U.S.-Mexico border Uh, when they get here. Like you are not in danger. Nobody is in yeah. danger. Like this isn't a safety emergency. Yeah. I mean and it's he moms actually was able to say that, which is
1: wild, but yeah, it's a lot of moms and kids. It's admirable that he said that it's it's a lot of, you know, vulnerable people. Yeah. And I get it. There's certain I mean, if you have seven thousand people, one of them is gonna be somebody who doesn't have the best intentions. Yeah. In any group. Yeah. If you have ten people in a room, not not all of them will be good intention people. Yeah. And so Unfortunately, the bad of the group ruins
0: it for everybody else. Yeah. Well, I mean, we've reported on this in the good newspaper. Immigrants to the United States, whether they arrive legally or illegally, are less likely to commit crimes than natural born citizens. Yes. The reality is that, probably for the most part, there's an equal variety of people who are going to commit crimes across all races, nationalities, yes. etc. But there is something about being a natural-born citizen in the United States right now where if you feel afraid of change, that's going to create a greater sense of, of crime, perhaps. Yeah. And so it's, it, that's the wild thing. That yeah. And
1: it also it's wild to to know that most people don't know that when it comes to immigrants who are here undocumented, they're not all from Latin America. They're not all from Central America. Yeah. You have European immigrants here who are undocumented, but they don't look like it. <laughs> so when when immigrants get attacked, it's typically dark skinned Latin American immigrants. But we have to remember that we have a huge population of European, Asian and immigrants from all over the world who are affected yeah. also.
0: And you know, they're just showing up on an airplane yeah. with a with a tourist visa. Yeah. Uh, and they're you know crossing the border yeah, in just
1: a different in a different way. Yeah. But if you think about it, that you don't when you hear the word illegal immigrant, you think of Latin Americans, especially Mexicans or Central Americans. But there's a huge population of illegal immigrants who are from other parts of the world. And I'm the reason why I mentioned that is because it's just to even break that stereotype of yeah. Like, not everyone who is illegal here. Also, not not all Latin Americans are here illegally. There's a huge community of immigrants from Latin America, from Honduras, that come here legally. Yeah, and they are lucky, or they have a better chance at, you know, being here legally, and so they do it. Does that make sense? Like totally. It's a whole. Yeah. It's a whole. Even for me as an immigrant, when I hear illegal immigrant, I think of my people first. And yeah. I'm like, wait a second, it's not necessarily just... It's
0: so much more nuanced yeah. than that. But yeah. we, I mean, our brains love to take shortcuts. Yeah, we true. love to oversimplify things because it, it, it helps us burn less calories. That's- is <laughs> what it's and so, so if our brain can make that shortcut, like it will. And so that's why you have to actively choose to not, you know, lean into those stereotypes. That's true. We all have these internal biases that that go unchecked every single mm-hmm. day and so you have to kind of remind yourself you know like you said even you think of you know people who look like you or yeah. your own people as undocumented immigrants like we all have these biases and so we, ha- we have to acknowledge them in yeah. order to turn them around yeah I just wanted to take a quick break from this conversation to tell you about the sponsor of this week's episode of Sounds Good, Hover. Hover makes it easy to buy a domain name for your big idea. And Hover also believes the internet has the power to bring change in the world. And if you put those two things together, you have something powerful. If you have a blog, you know all about using the internet to spread positivity and bring about change. As an influencer in your passion, your words matter. You deserve to represent yourself well, and your domain name is a big part of that. Having a personal domain name feels more reliable and more professional than having a domain name at .blogspot.com, .squarespace.com, or .whatever.com. In fact, people are way more likely to take what you're doing seriously if you own your own domain name. And Hover makes that so easy. Oh my goodness, it's so easy. And get this, you can get a .com domain name from Hover for only $14.99 per year. That's not per month, that's per year. Hover also makes it super easy to get connected to your website builder too. So wherever you're building your website, the Hover Connect feature allows you to connect your domain name with a few simple clicks. That's what I did when I bought brandonharvey.com over eight years ago. And that's what I did when I launched goodgoodgood.co. For listeners of Sounds Good, Hover is offering 10% off your first purchase when you visit hover.com slash So just go to hover.com slash today to save 10% on your domain name and help support this podcast, Hover making it easy to bring your passions and ideas to life for the sake of changing the world. Okay, now back to the rest of the conversation. Okay, so you were 12 and you, uh, your parents said, hey, you got to come up to the U.S. Yeah. What's the process of getting to the U.S. like for you?
1: So... Whatever I'm about to say might make my parents look bad or sound like bad, but remember, they were trying to rescue me from death, you know? Yeah. And I'm not exaggerating. So I had to come undocumented to the US. So what happens is most people hire coyotes. That's what they're called. Okay. Or yeah. Coyotes. Coyotes. How do you say it in English? I would
0: say like coyote. Coyote. Yeah. It's like an so, English speaking.
1: Yeah. So, but the, 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 the term comes from the animal. Yeah. I guess because he moves through the desert. That's, oh, that's how it began got it. a long time ago. So they hire human traffickers pretty much to get you through Guatemala illegally and then through Mexico illegally. And then the biggest challenge of it all, which is crossing the border. And how much and of this is walking
0: versus in a vehicle versus?
1: This is honestly different for every yeah. case. For me, I took every type of transportation. Got it. Train, semi-trucks. At one point in Mexico, I was hitting under yeah. the seat of the back of a semi-truck. I wow. could barely breathe. I remember I thought I was going to die of suffocation because I couldn't breathe. But they had to hide me in a semi-truck that was that had some type of cargo, which I think, and I'm almost sure that it was immigrants in the back of the semi-truck as mm. well. But for me, because I was a kid, I, I guess my parents paid more to have a bit of better treatment which you can. Got it. You pretty much have a package that you can pay these people. So it's a group of people that work illegally throughout Guatemala, Mexico and in the border and even in the US. So they all communicate with each other and they bring these people, they pretty much traffic humans, you know, they bring this group of humans illegally by paying to the officials in each country, in Mexico and in Guatemala. Oh so so I remember
0: they're bribing.
1: Yes. That's the word I guess. But I remember you know, being in a bus and having to put my arm in the seat in front of me because I had a, I honestly like a brace, a bracelet okay. that was kind of like my pass. So uh... when when there was a checkpoint in Guatemala, the police officers would get in the bus, and you know I they I was told to put my arm in front of the chair so they could see my bracelet, which pretty much meant that they had already they pay for my entrance under the table. So there's a lot of corruption within itself. Wow. The government, the local government in Guatemala and in Mexico works with these people in order to bring these people because they, they know that their main goal is to get to the U.S. So they are like, we have this, this group of people going through my country, so I'm going to make some money out of it.
0: Yeah, they kind of know, okay, yeah. this isn't the final stop. Yeah, just like drugs
1: people. that come from South America. It's the same thing. Uh, they charge an the amount of money in order for those drugs to come illegally into the country and reach the main destination, which is the promised land, you know, <laughs> the land of opportunity. And so they would do anything they can. And obviously, this this is under the table, and yeah. they would never admit it. You know, but it's again not to sound you know negative, but it's just a lot of corruption that happens. Yeah. And so that's how I came here. Uh, I remember sleeping in a hammock in the border of Guatemala and Mexico the night before I crossed the river. There's also like a small river that you had to cross in the border of Guatemala and Mexico. I remember sleeping in a hammock, being bite by mosquitoes like crazy. Mm. Oh my gosh, it was dangerous. I heard gunshots all the time. I honestly experienced I witnessed a little girl get raped by mm. one of these Coyote guys and I heard it. You know, in the group cannot do nothing about it. Because you get shot. Because you're vulnerable. You know, you're being led by these criminals. And I know this is triggering to talk about, and I'm sorry if it sounds like I just lightly say it, but I remember as a 12-year-old hearing a little girl get raped, you know, and we couldn't do nothing about it because the guys with the gun were, you know, the people who were bringing us here. So it's a long story, but to make a long story short, the whole journey was traumatic, terrifying, and that's not even the worst part because the worst part was crossing the border, the U.S. and Mexican border which is the most traumatic part, and I still don't talk about it much because it triggers me, and it's very clear in my head. Really?
0: What about it is traumatic to you still?
1: I mean, I remember hearing the coyotes or the guys talk about how they were going to cross us through the river, and they spoke about us like we were merchandise, you know? And some of them would die because they couldn't keep up with the group, so they would just... They left them in the desert. And you're seeing all of this happen, you know. So there's so many layers to it. And then once you're crossing the border, I felt like the biggest criminal in history. And I would question, why do I have to cross this border like a criminal? And, you know, we had to swim uh, the Rio Grande. That's what the river is called. between and Mexico and It's a big river? Yeah. What was it, the part that you crossed big? I co- I crossed through Texas okay. and it was huge and wow. it was dangerous and I had to swim and I, I was afraid and they let you cross the river but they let go of you. Once you cross the river, the guys, they don't have control anymore. So as a kid your goal is to swim to the other side but as you're swimming, as you're crossing the river, there's helicopters going around, you hear dogs barking from the border patrol, the US border patrol and then there's spotlights going on, you know, it's it's, it's terrifying because you're literally breaking a national or a federal law. Obviously, I didn't know at the time. Yeah. But you're like, literally, like a federal criminal in a way. You don't know that because all you know is you're going to your parents. Yeah. You're risking your life to not die in your country. And that's why it's traumatic for me because I've been through it the worst way, you know, that immigrants can come and, to this day, I remember the sound of the helicopters and the dogs. And when I reached the other side, I blacked out. I don't remember what happened. I just remember waking up in the desert almost dead and being picked by a Border Patrol agent, which was really nice to me and gave me water and brought me to a prison cell. You know, like the ones you've been seeing lately on the news uh, with alum- aluminum foil blankets, That's that existed back in 2006. That's not a reason, that's not a thing that's just happened. The, the problem here is that Americans are just being exposed to it. Yeah. So many people are like, what the heck is going on in the border? Yeah. Like, no, this has been going on for a while yeah. since the Bush administration or even before that. But, you know, it just happens to be public now because of social media. So I was, you know, some people told me that, oh, it's fake. You know, they, those photos are manipulated. And I'm like, I actually was in those prison cells. They're cages, like literally. Yeah. And so I I was taken by a border patrol to that prison cell until they were able to contact my parents and pretty much send me to my parents. Wow. Okay.
0: And so why did they send you to your parents instead of saying, hey, you got to go home?
1: So there's a lot of policy that goes with the whole story at the time. Remember, policy changes constantly when it comes to the border. At the time, the Bush administration was allowing kids under the age of 15, I think, to appeal their case if they reach the border. So if you reach the border as a kid, from Honduras specifically, they, they were not allowing the Mexican kids the same way they, they were allowing Hondurans. So they were showing more mercy to us. So they would allow us to go to the court and to the judge and appeal our case. Wow. So they gave us six month, uh, a six-month period of, you know, tell me why you need to be here. Yeah. And then my parents obviously... They didn't go to court because they knew they were gonna send us back, Got which is it. typically the case. Got it. So it's it's very. That's a weird part of the system. It's a lot of layers, man. Yeah. And at the time, that was the law at the time, or that yeah. was you know the policy. Now it's changed, so it's it's a lot of a lot of layers, and it's really hard to understand. And I understand when people don't get it, but at the same time, I always tell people like you should study a bit more because there's more layers to it. It's not that people just stay here because illegally because they want to. Uh, it's mostly because they they have tried every choice, and to this day, like two thousand eighteen, twenty six year old me, I'm still undocumented. And to say this, it's very scary, but it's it's just part of the story. Like I haven't solved the problem.
0: Yeah, are you are you at all in danger being on this podcast and talking about that and the process and the fact that you're undocumented?
1: I mean, have you seen those documentaries of people who let, leave cults? And they talk about it. Have you seen those interviews? I don't know if you've seen them. Yeah, yeah. But it kind of feels like that because I'm exposing a lot of weird, dark, under-the-table stuff that happens. So I am in danger in a way. But, I mean, I am not risking much right now. I don't have a daughter. I don't have a kid. Mm. You know, I'm 26. And I'm also advocating for dreamers. You know, I'm a dreamer now.
0: And for those who may be a little bit unfamiliar with the DREAM Act, yeah, maybe a quick a quick breakdown of what Dream that Act is.
1: DREAM Act has been, uh, we've been wanting Congress to pass for a long time. It's a policy that would give citizenship to kids who were brought here not by their own intent. So we've been fighting for the DREAM Act since a long time, years, maybe 2003 was when the DREAM Act became like, yeah. the name.
0: Because there were a lot of people who were under 18 brought by their parents yeah. to the U.S. and it's yeah. like, you didn't have a choice. Yeah, like, they I mean, up. you could have had some degree of a choice, but yeah. at the end of the day, it's your parents telling yeah. you you got to come to the states.
1: And also, they grew up as American citizens here. They speak English. Yeah. They, you know, they went to high school, middle school here, and some of them, don't, most of them, don't have an accent. I have an accent because who knows why I never lost it. But you know, it's you a have, wonderful accent. Thank you very much. <laughs> <laughs> so that's the dream, and so in 2012, we were really close to. For Congress to approve the DREAM Act, but they didn't approve it for by two votes, hmm. unfortunately. And so Obama at the time was like, wow, I can't believe you guys didn't approve it. And I'm obviously misquoting, but so I'm <laughs> going to give you an, exe- I'm going to do an executive order. Yeah. So that's what DACA is. DACA is a cheap version of the DREAM Act. Got it. DACA yeah. is like pretty much like, I won't give you a path to citizenship. I won't deport you. But I'm not gonna give you residency, so I'm gonna keep you in a loophole. That's weird, yeah, and
0: like in a weird black hole stage. And because it's an executive order, the next president can yeah can revoke it. Revoke yeah. it. And and has President Trump done that?
1: He did, he did. Okay, you know, a few months ago. But uh thankfully, ACL. Oh, what, oh ACL. Yeah, ACL. they took it to court in American civil yeah civil yeah liberties. And League so Union. because of that, some judges have blocked it so right now it's in a weird stage god you it. know it's not necessarily taken away completely but there's not it's, you cannot it's tied apply. up in the courts yeah, yeah oh yeah and nobody new can do it no nobody new can do it but, but you're I still have a dreamer it. i have it so it my expires in 2000, april 2019 Wow! and as of right now i could reapply but obviously i don't think it's gonna stay like this it's gonna somehow change and hopefully it stays like this or hopefully it changes for the better but if, let's say, I, if I cannot reapply, then I'm basically back to the drawing board and back to completely, I'm still undocumented. Because yeah. DACA doesn't give you, remember, DACA is not a, a permanent or a, a status at all. It's not even a step towards citizenship. No, 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 no. It's DACA just is just like a, you're not in a gonna, room yeah. waiting for it to be either deported or to be towards a path to citizenship. Got it. And there's no plan for either yet. Not yet.
0: Not yet. And so Trump is basically saying, "Okay, we're, we're going to create a path uh, towards you getting deported," and yeah. then a, a potential future president could be saying, "No, let's create a path towards citizenship. towards citizenship." And the polling says that a majority of Americans, a decent percentage of Americans, are supportive of yeah, path of citizenship.
1: Yeah, even a lot of Republican congressmen are, you know, in support. Even it was really surprising when Marco Rubio came out yeah. saying that he would support Path to Citizenship. Yeah. You know, which it, when he was running for, you know, to be a, a candidate for presidency, he was against it. Yeah. Then he changed his mind. It's not an easy thing yeah. for
0: somebody like him with his district to do. Yeah. Yeah.
1: But, you know, there's a lot of people in both sides wanting citizenship for us. But it's a complex thing and there's politics involved. Yeah. And Trump is saying, you know, the president is saying, give me the border, the wall. Give me the wall, and I'll give you path to citizenship. Uh, so we are like pretty much like an exchange coin. Like, yeah, I'm gonna give you citizenship if if Democrats in Congress or in the Senate approve the wall, and they will not approve the wall. Yeah, yeah I won. mean <laughs> because they're gonna be against everything Trump wants when yeah. it comes to the the wall. Yeah, so we are pretty much in the middle of this war between pride and political game. You know, I don't know. What do you think? So let's pretend
0: that. Trump wasn't a thing, that the current Senate and current Congress weren't a thing, and all the politics kind of were were gone from this, and we had the ability to rewrite our immigration laws. What do you think would be the healthy and fair thing to create? And I know that's a big question.
1: No, no, I can answer that question by simply saying, let's look at the numbers, let's look at what how the country is being run and what the people are doing to better the country or to make it run. Yeah. Because let me tell you this this is surprising to many people, and I, I still don't know why. The people who cook your food at Mexican restaurants, probably illegal. The people who cut your yard, probably undocumented. People who pick up tomatoes in California, or wherever, you know, everywhere in the States, they're probably undocumented. So, society as we know it in the US, it works because, in a way, because of also undocumented immigrants. So, all I'm saying, and the reason why I say that is, I think we should rethink about how we deal with these people, with us, because we are already here anyways, and I don't think they're going to go away. Yeah, And I know this sounds very like like I'm not saying this in an offensive way to people who don't agree with amnesty for immigrants, but what I'm saying is we are here anyways, so why not do it the right way? It's going to benefit the country yeah. economically. It's going to make life safe for Americans. Like, for example, Dreamers, we had to go through an extensive Background check by the FBI in order to get the Dream Act status, you know, or the mm. DACA status. So I went through a deep, like, profound where <laughs> I had to send uh, screenshots on my Facebook like timeline oh, wow. to FBI for them to say you actually are somebody that could be here. So it'll make life safe for everybody else. That's why I wish people to understand this. Yeah. Amnesty would mean people who are living under the shadows would have to come and do background checks. So if they're doing some type of crime, they will be checked for it. And they will be sent back, which is good for the safety yeah. of Americans and for the safety of the immigrants who are here doing good work. Does that make sense? Totally. And what, what? So what about the border in the future?
0: You know, like, I think that the wall is a terrible idea just because you build a 10-foot wall, you get a 12-foot yeah. ladder. It's just a, a really bad expense. But I also, to some degree, I'm like, oh, well, I think that, you know, understanding who is coming into the U.S. and yeah. who isn't is valuable and so you know based off of my you know very limited understanding of all of this, my thought process is increase the number of people who can immigrate legally yeah and include people from developing countries instead of just developed countries or yeah more so but tighten up security um, yeah you know not only the like the southern border but also coming into the U.S. border security yeah. on a plane stuff. I don't know. What do you think about that? That's because at the same time, you've got people coming from, you know, Latin America yeah. who need refuge somewhere.
1: Yeah, that's such a good question. And I. this is really important. Like this part of the conversation and this question is, I think, the most important part of understanding policy when it comes to immigration and I'm not a professional. Right. Right? I'm speaking as an immigrant, but there's, you, there's great resources online for you to understand policy and how it works. But what I can answer you about this is the numbers are going down when it comes to people who are migrating here illegally. So Not only that, but there's fewer people every year who yeah, are in yeah. the United States
0: illegally because yeah. people are leaving yeah. more than people are coming.
1: Yeah, so a lot of politicians speak about immigrants coming here like if it was a crisis going on for us in the U.S., but it's not. It's not so. Numbers are going down. There's not a lot of people immigrating here illegally like they used to be in the in the last ten years. Yeah, I mean so, Bush's
0: era, I think had the highest. It was yeah, either Bush or Clinton. Yeah,
1: yeah, and so now it's like going down because of what people hear in the news. They're more skeptical about it. So, and also what I'm saying is, my ideal thing or scenario in my head would be that honduras will build their government in a way that people don't have to immigrate yeah that's the thing brandon That a lot of people don't understand either and i don't say this to blame it on people it's just i didn't understand it either until i did my own research but i don't as an immigrant dude i wish i could have stayed in honduras and had a great life over there think about it so my goal my desire is for these countries to Rebuild their governments in such a way that they don't have to immigrate. Because let me tell you this, brother, Honduras is a beautiful country. Do we have amazing landscapes? We have incredible environmental places, mountains, rivers. There's gold in a lot of mountains in Honduras. There's so much natural resources. I mean, we have an island called Roatan, which a lot of North Americans go there for vacation. You know, it's like bilingual completely uh and there's like a lot of tourism happening honduras has so much potential to become an amazing self-sustained country so my ultimate goal is not for you know immigrants to be welcome in this country which is obviously what i would like but my ultimate dream is for like these countries to build their countries in a way that's so good that you don't have to immigrate because let me tell you this even if you immigrate legally it's a cultural shock it's a lot of work you have to work harder. It's a and lot of money. You're working through the trauma of it Yeah, too. trauma. A lot of money you have to spend. You have to, you know, you have to adapt to a different country. So like, it's not necessarily that I'm saying uh, that I want everybody, to, everybody to immigrate to the U.S. Even though I think that people who immigrate to the U.S. are bringing good things to the country, mm-hmm. to the economy, but. Does that make sense? Totally. My, my dream is for us to stay in yeah. our country. So most people would think like, no, those immigrants want like us to have open border policy. No, 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 no. I would love for a government in Latin America to be self-sustained, to be yeah. self-sufficient for their own people. Because that would make totally. the world a better place. And also it would create better opportunities and people don't have to die in the border. Yeah. People don't have to you know, go to emotional trauma and et cetera. So that's my ultimate goal. Man, I love that. I wish that we could, in a perfect world, that would be the ultimate goal. Well, and the
0: ultimate goal would be for Honduras to be able to do that completely on its own. But yeah. you know, if you're an expert on immigration, yeah, <laughs> uh, you know, like a, a seven out of ten expert, and I'm, yeah. then I'm a seven out of ten expert on uh, foreign assistance. Yeah, and the way that you, the United States. Uh, gives money and creates programs yeah. and offers aid to uh, developing countries around the world right. to help them get a hand up. Yeah. Um, and I feel like an increase in budget to foreign assistance and having a focus on uh, Latin America yeah. could really have a lot of impact. You do that and you have less need to pay ice. You do that and you have less need. You've got a different employment situation in the United States. What would it look like if we invested in, uh, you know, supporting, you know, Honduras and El Salvador and Mexico financially through certain programs so that, yeah, so that these countries can thrive and people don't need to leave. And then, you know, this is outside of the Need from just like a human rights standpoint, and supporting people who are in need. Yeah, uh, there's also huge economic benefits of so now yeah. we have new trade partners. Who, yeah, you know it's a lot easier to to trade things on the same continent than it is to uh you know to trade to China. You know yeah, things like that. It exactly. becomes cheaper. You've got all these other positive benefits. Yeah, I don't know. I feel like the problem is that I think a lot of people see this. As a topic instead of as humans, yeah, yeah. it's become dehumanized. And if yeah. we could just get back to that and say, okay, okay, how can we help people? Yeah, you know, right now we're we're just rejecting the ability to help yeah. people in many ways. But what if we said, okay, let's help people with the immediate ways, you know, yeah, like like, yeah. Uh, like in a reactive way, but let's also help people in a proactive way. Yeah, let's let's, let's find out, you know, who that Gustavo will be in ten years, yeah. and before he even comes to the United States, you know, let's help him in the United States. But let's, you know, before he even comes to the United States, let's figure yeah. out how to help him in Honduras as well. Yeah,
1: and and the U.S. has done good, so much goodness to these countries, to third world countries. We've done a lot of greatness, you know, especially uh, local organizations, yeah. like churches, you know, people who go on missions. They built schools. I mean, it's, I could sit here and talk forever about the good work of the American, North American, in Central America. But what I would also say here is also for the I wish that the U.S. would stay sometimes outside of... um, I wish they would not inflict into things that they're not supposed to. And this is a whole Mm, different deep conversation that I'm not going to go into but what I can tell you is in a surface level is the U.S. has also inflicted in things that they should have never inflicted in and that creates chaos in the country. Because remember that there's a lot of resources, natural resources in Latin America. There's a lot of uh, locations that are strategically great for the U.S. to have, like Cuba. You know, the U.S. has wanted to own Cuba for the longest time in in human history because it's great location. Because remember, if Cuba gives Russia permission to use their location to attack us, Cuba is like literally 90 miles from Miami. Yeah. So the, it's the, strategically, the U.S. needs Cuba. Just like Canada was also like something that the U.S. wanted to obtain because of strategically lo- uh, when it comes to locations. Does that make sense? I don't totally. want to. So yeah, yeah, yeah. The, the U.S. sees Central America like that too. Yeah, it, and so it, and it can kind of abuse that. Yes, where it's yes, like, oh, hey, yeah. I'm doing something good for yeah. you, but I'm actually yes, I'm taking something. I've got from ulterior you. motives. Yeah. And that's and that's a, again, good reminder. there's better good that the U.S. has done than bad. Uh, even then, I'm skeptical. But I'm saying this from a perspective. As, I'm saying this as somebody who loves the U.S. You know, somebody who appreciates this country. But we have been, just like any human being has done in your life, you've done things that have hurt other people. We have done and created policy that has hurt Latin America in the past. And professionals can tell you even with a more deep perspective. But what I'm saying is I wish that sometimes we don't go in places we should go when it comes to foreign policy in Latin America. And, And I think that would make, hopefully that would make things better. But again, I'm not... I'm I just not a professional when it comes to these things to talk about it. But I do know that the US has the US has some type of guilt because of certain situations that have happened in, just like in the Middle East, also in Latin America, especially yeah. in Honduras. When Hillary Clinton was the secretary of State, Secretary of State, yeah. Uh she this is in her book, by the way, this isn't in herself. Oh, uh, this is yeah. in her book. She admits that the US government had to do with in two thousand nine, um there was a the, the The President at the time in Honduras was taken away from office by force, mm. and I don't know how the right words to say, it, but the u s had to do with that the u s government had to do with that obstruction or the president that was voted in was taken away you know in an illegal way, and the u s had to do with it, so mm. that created conflict. so in a way, you can say, well, you guys have given us a lot of conflict, so now at least take a small percentage of immigrants." I don't know.
0: Yeah. No, it's super complex. Yeah, it's nuanced, very and it's, complex. Yeah, and,
1: and that's the thing where I just
0: want to see more public debate about yeah. all of this. Like I can't like I can't believe that the debate is do we build a wall or re- don't we build a wall because yeah. a wall is just it's it's like a physical thing that like we can wrap our minds around, yeah. but it's symbolic of this greater conversation we yeah. should be having which is like what what percentage of foreign assistance should be going to Honduras? And uh, when we do that, it, you know, is it purely food related or is, yeah. it, is it aid or is it military? And then what do we provide? You know, what kind of amnesty do we provide to people in need? And what's refugee status? Like, what if we dive into the actual complex policy aspects of this yeah. instead of just focusing on, oh, I'm scared of the brown people coming across yeah. the border?
1: yeah. I agree with you. And I think that ultimately there's two ways of, view- of viewing this in a bigger perspective is are we being threatened by other countries? So we're going to expand our military or are we going to, yes, protect ourselves, but be a bit less Extreme when it comes to spend spending money into the military, you know, unnecessary money sometimes. But I think it, it also – when you are, uh, you know, the greatest country on earth, uh, you know, I don't know if that's true or not. But when you're the most powerful country on earth, you're going to go to the extreme on protecting it. And, yeah. and sometimes that affects people. I guess that's the best way to put it. Yeah, That affects countries and, and masses of humans, you know. Yeah, and, and I don't know if that's part of, you know, being one of the greatest countries on earth is us also, also – unfortunately creating policy that affects people negatively i don't know yeah
0: well and and everything is is going to you know yeah. every policy will and so yeah. the question is can we do it with a sense of empathy yeah. and thoughtfulness and a choice to you know minimize yeah. the suffering of others i mean ultimately what it is is it's a question of can we choose to put others before ourselves sometimes? Yeah. You know, like, or can we share? Can we can be we more share? compassionate? Yeah.
1: Because remember, we have to remember, I think, or I, I, I'm saying this to myself too. We have more than we need. And that's the hardest part about yeah. you know, that's the hardest part about being in North America on the U in the United States is that we sometimes neglect that we have a lot more than we need. And can we be be more compassionate? I think that's yeah. the question. It's like can you give more? And I'm talking about even in a local perspective like right now in my life gustavo what do you have that you can give to people that Mm -hmm. don't have like are you doing something for your community like this this can be taken to a local stance like you know we have more than we need how can we be more compassionate to people and And, so and maybe this
0: is a good a good segue to you know you know tell me a little bit about so you moved to the united states you went through school you know, all through school. You didn't speak English when you got here, you told me earlier. Yeah,
1: I didn't. Not a word. I was put into middle school, eighth grade, without knowing a word. Wow. It was the most, I hated, I hated my parents for this. I, I blamed it on them at the time. It was like, why do you do this to me? You know, it was traumatic. I, I didn't want to learn English. Maybe that's why I still have a thick accent. I refused to learn it. I was mm-hmm. like, I don't want to learn it. I want to get. Yeah. I want to be sent back to Honduras. Yeah. I thought my parents eventually were going to give up on it. And then we we're going to be like, you know what? We're going to send you back with your aunt. <laughs> but they didn't. And so I had no other choice than to learn English. And also there was cute girls that I wanted to talk to. <laughs> that's so you were in South
0: Carolina. Yeah. So I was funny. in a little
1: town called Conway, South Carolina, which is still feels like home in a way. It's uh, like 30 miles from Myrtle Beach. Um, so I learned English because I needed to. and To uh, talk to cute girls. Yeah, pretty much. And then it became a, you know, that's how I graduated. You know, thankfully I got to learn. And now I love it. Yeah. English is one of my favorite languages, you know, and it's so cool that I can speak two languages. You know? Yeah, I love it so and much. And sing in two languages, too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh it's my like gosh. a game. When you I was talk. like going through all your YouTube
0: videos and I was like, oh, <laughs> I
1: love that I just heard you sing yeah, this in thank two you. languages. Yeah, it's beautiful. You know, it's it's like living in two worlds. I always yeah. tell people if you're bilingual, you know this. It's like you see the world in two different ways. Like oh, it's just completely different. That's amazing. Different. A phrase can mean completely different in, in, in Spanish than it does in English. Yeah. And so, I went through the whole process. It was really hard, but now I can look back at it and I'm like, man, I'm so thankful that I'm part of this subculture of bilingual speaking people. Yeah, you know, it's really cool. It's a whole different level of culture, you know. That's incredible. Yeah, and it, it's becoming even bigger because of YouTube and you yeah. know and Facebook. You know, even um, what what do they call these people that do videos on on in LA? Uh, oh, they, like bloggers? Yeah, like even <laughs> bloggers. They have they have incorporated bilingual wow conversation this
0: is really cool that's amazing it. yeah and then okay so you went to college yeah and you how what's the process of going to college if you're a dreamer and you're not a oh, U.S. citizen
1: that was really tough i i couldn't go to a regular school because you have to have a social, social security number obviously got it and it, you know how hard it is for americans to go to college yeah so take that to like the extreme like it's even more it, almost impossible for us and my case was just a plate of events that happened and made it possible for me. I was uh, admitted into this little small Bible college that was accredited at the time. And that's like they admitted me in a way. I don't know how they did it to this day. Wow. It was like the grace of the universe, the grace of God. And, you know, but it was all being in the right time at the right moment, fighting for it as well. Also, I was able to get a scholarship by leading worship. On campus. So your music
0: is continuing to come the back. The music and has given me and, wow. so
1: much. I'm so thankful for music, and my grandpa, and yeah. you know because it's opening doors to me like I never imagined. Wow! To this day, I'm probably here in Nashville because of a YouTube video or a, of a cover song that I did, and it opened doors for me to be in places and spaces that I never would have thought of. So music Man. has always paid uh, a way for me to be able to have this
0: life. Yeah. Know? And that's so unique because, you know, your dad was a teacher, and he had to basically do blue-collar work. Yeah. And I love that you were a musician, and you yeah. get to continue <laughs> to be a musician. Yeah.
1: Like, what a beautiful thing. It's I'm so privileged, you know, it's because... You know, most people don't understand in my culture, you know, what it is to be a full time musician. Yeah. Because you're trying to feed your family. <laughs> yeah. So they, they're they like, what? What is it that you do? <laughs> and it's not only that you're able to feed yourself with music, but yeah. you've got this next
0: level where, and it's kind of a Maslow's hierarchy of needs thing. Yeah. Where it's not just that you're feeding yourself with your music, but you are using your music to communicate stories that matter. Yeah. And we were talking yeah. about that before, but tell me about like kind of the. M- the almost mission you have with the work that you do or yeah. the, the the music that you create.
1: I think music can connect me with people that would not really be interested in my story if I said it with simple words. And so they listen to a song and then they want to know more about why I'm singing that song or what I'm saying. Yeah. So that opens room for me to say, actually, this is my story and this could be the story of a lot of immigrants and the story of a lot of people who grew up here uh, with without feeling, they, they grew up here with, with this feeling that they didn't fit in, you know? So my mission, if, if I was to put a mission into my music, I feel like, and I told you earlier, my yeah. music is a way to start a conversation to let people know that there's hope, that there's a better world that we can create, and that you have something to say, and you should say it regardless of your background. And if I'm doing something with my life, regardless of all these things I've been through, you also, you know, in a different way, I'm sure you have a big and powerful story and you can use that and not be ashamed of it. Because the biggest thing for me, when I came out as an illegal immigrant, it, we also use that phrase, by the way, like you come really? out. Because a lot of people don't say it. Yeah. I'm sure if you're listening to this, you probably have a friend that is undocumented and he hasn't told you wow. yet. He or she hasn't told you yet. So you know, it's it takes a lot of guts to say like I want to come out of the shadows and say this, yeah. And it's it, it can be shameful, you know. I mean, totally. it sucks to say that I'm an, I'm a documented immigrant because it puts me into this like weird a lot of stigma th- in the United States. Yeah, today. but the other
0: thing is there's a lot of stigma because we don't know somebody. Yeah, yeah. And kind of to bring it back to this, you know, metaphor of the LGBTQ community. Yeah. For the longest time, especially pre, uh, you know, marriage legalization. Yeah. Uh, A lot of people were in the closet. And obviously, there's still a lot of people who, you know, for one reason or another don't feel comfortable coming out. But when now, I think that I read some study that says that now almost every single American knows somebody personally who identifies as LGBTQ. That's amazing. And just a few decades ago, that wasn't true. It was a Mm -hmm. very small percentage of people. And so now, the more people that we have, who actually know an undocumented immigrant yeah. and actually know somebody who, you know, is from Latin America. Yeah. Like all of a sudden when you see a caravan of people on the news, yeah. you can actually be like, oh well that's Gustavo. Yeah, yeah. And and his sister yeah. and his mom. Like you can you can put a face to these exactly. people and realize yeah. It's highly unlikely that that person is as scary as some people would exactly. lead me to believe.
1: Yeah, that's so good. Thank you for saying that and for putting it into words like that. That's beautifully said. And yeah, I agree with you. Music, that again, that's for me. It's a way to tell these people too. It You're okay and you, you have value as a human being. And a paper, a social security number doesn't give you value yeah you already have that value because yeah. a lot of people feel like unless they have a social security number they mean something in society mm. but you matter regardless if you have a social security number or not you know and it's okay to say i'm undocumented you know it's and, brave uh, of you to say I, I, but again like because, you know i, yeah. I know there's some people you gotta risk your contact yeah i know some people risk more like if i have a daughter here in the u.s to feed i probably would never say that i'm undocumented because i don't want to get deported if i get deported back to honduras I'll probably move to Europe or something, you know, and I'll be fine. <laughs> yeah. Right now I have nothing to lose in a way. Because yeah. I'm a, sing- I'm a single twenty-six year old who doesn't have much responsibility other than pursuing my dreams. So I'm I'm in a different way. I'm blessed or lucky to have this perspective. But I'm sure that I, I know how people that have you know their business that they can't risk. So yeah. that they 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 can't speak about it. So yeah, I use music as an excuse to tell people like, you know what, it's okay to feel like an intruder sometimes, even though you're not just because you're yeah. an legal immigrant doesn't mean you're an intruder. It just means that you find yourself in a circumstance that made you take this type of lifestyle that is unfortunate. And I hope that we can solve it hopefully soon. And I hope eventually the world gets to a point where we don't have to immigrate so much, even though it's been the story of humans ever since the yeah. beginning of time. So yeah. I'm sure we're always, at the end of the day, we're always are going to have that immigrant label all of us you know because your parents came here or your grandparents probably came here in a way that you know was not seen as legal i guess but yeah
0: yeah and you've got a new ep coming out soon yeah
1: tell me about that that's man, so I'm really excited yeah it's a it's gonna be in spanish completely but it's an ep and um, let me just say
0: i love listening to your music in spanish because <laughs> thank you, and it's, it is you know i'm having a different experience than other people but like because yeah. i don't speak spanish i'm like I can work to this. Thank I don't you know so what much. these words mean. Yeah. It's just beautiful music. Yeah, thank uh, you. But I mean, you know, I know from people who speak Spanish who have listened to your music. Yeah, like, you're a great lyricist. You thank know, you. There's very a much. lot of thought, and I mean, your English, you know, stuff that you've created too is is
1: beautiful thank you. as well. I appreciate it. I, I'm just a lover of Spanish language, um, and I read mostly in Spanish, and so everything I bring into my <laughs> heart is typically in Spanish. So I think I can say. It better uh, at the moment. So I'm really excited because it's a it's an EP about pretty much what we've been talking about. Mm. You know, one of my songs questions that like questions what fitting in looks like. And uh, my first single that's going to come out this Friday or you know, I don't know when it's going to yeah, be out. Yeah, so it'll probably be November the 2nd. Friday. Yeah, yeah, November the 2nd, my first single, it's called Promised Land. Mm. So it literally speaks about pretty much stories of me as an misfit if you want to call it that way you know trying to figure out life my second what the second song in the ep is called shell Hmm. like you know like what the turtles have uh, yeah is that what it's called yeah shell Uh, it's called caparazón in spanish and it's this idea of like not being able to fit in the shell it's a it's an analogy that works better in spanish (laughs) really but yeah pretty much the whole the whole ep has this kind of concept of misfit trying to figure out the world in front of me which i'm sure is the story of a lot of people I'm really excited about it. I'm man. working with these like, younger producers that are really dope and really cool. Dude, that's um, so cool. Yeah, good. yeah. It's a mix of Latin American traditional music with North American modern music. So it's huh. like this song, this, this first single has this trap type of beat with Peruvian flute. You know what I'm saying? So it's like a yeah. really interesting mix. I'm really excited about it. I hope people like it, you know? Good. <laughs> yeah.
0: Man. I'm so pumped to hear yeah, it. Yeah, thank you. To kind of maybe... You know wrap up our our conversation we've talked about a lot we've we've you know dove into your yeah. story we've dove into policy, policy. Uh, <laughs> how to use music to make uh an impact yeah um and a lot of this you know you know we were talking about your story, which is based on you know focusing on the past, but everything else has been focused on you know what does the future look like uh And, you know, with the work that you're doing with this new EP coming out, uh, I guess I'm just curious, what do you feel hopeful about right now? You know, looking forward, I I think it'd be really easy and understandable to feel cynical about what's happening in the world right now. Again, that's incredibly valid. But, you know, from your perspective, what are you seeing going on in the world that, that you feel hopeful about?
1: Yeah, I feel hopeful, especially about these conversations that are happening all over the U.S. You know, a lot of people are are talking about things that three years ago we have, we would have never you know talked about. And so, I think that conversations bring friendships and it brings mm. relationships and it brings hope into other people. Like the moment you start a conversation with your neighbor, like I'm talking about, like a physical neighbor. Let's say you live in a house and you start a conversation with your neighbor, that house doesn't longer Hold that weird mystery that it has whenever you don't know your neighbor. Yeah. So I feel like if I use that analogy into people, I feel like if you start hearing these conversations, you know, you start seeing more familiar things. And honestly, Brendan, I feel like I know that we have more things that make us alike than things that make us different to each other. We are very similar. We have similar challenges, similar fears. And that's why I'm hopeful about the future because these conversations is gonna, are going to bring us together as humanity especially as you know, United States citizens, you know, because we have such diversity country, we we're we're gonna be able to connect even better. And also it's gonna expand our food, you know, it's gonna expand our vocabulary, it's gonna expand our taste. I mean, I was telling you how Billboard has Billboard top one hundred has yeah. songs in Spanish completely in Spanish, yeah, I would have ten years ago I would have never believed you if you would have told me that there was really? gonna be a song completely in Spanish in the Billboard top ten you know that's unbelievable, I'm so excited about that because it opens people who are typically close to other cultures it's gonna open a bit more their perspectives and it's gonna bring them more color into their life, and I think together we could we can paint a better world, a more colorful world. If we bring our colors, you know, to the canvas, and that, does that make sense? I'm yeah. really excited about it. Yeah, think about it. Like I in in LA, for example, when I lived in Los Angeles you know i i heard americans north americans talk about horchata you know i don't know if you know what that is yeah that i is love kind of, it and i'm like what like north my north american friends my gringo friends you know they they know about horchata it's so cool and then in nashville there's a place that i love Mas tacos. Mas tacos oh their horchata is amazing I know. it's so good we were there last I'm week i'm so sad that they don't have free
0: refills <laughs> i think they do one free refill oh wow i what? didn't even know so <laughs> i didn't know that either they told me the last time so anyway <laughs>
1: yeah so things like that little simple things like that make me hopeful for the future like the friends are eating corn like with mayonnaise like the Mexican style and I don't know man we see it in the movies we see it in in our culture we are slowly becoming even a more diverse world Mm. for the good and that's why I want to tell I guess people too it's like we have differences are not necessarily something bad it's not a threat to your security Yeah, we also bring new colors that you probably didn't know you wanted or you wanted to have in your life it's like uh, Steve Jobs said one time, people don't know what they want until you give them to them. Yeah. I'm probably quoting it wrong, but I feel like most people don't know that they need some Latin in their life. <laughs> Look, we have we are very happy people. We have food for everything, you know. We we, we eat for every single occasion. We are very loud and, and we dance, you know. There's a place here in Nashville called Plaza Mariachi. They host this Thursday night salsa night. Wow. You, know, where you see all these people dancing salsa music. So... That's the beauty of this country, and that's why I love this country so much is because you have everything you have a little bit of every part of the world come together in a city you know, and even Nashville is a smaller city, but if you go to New York, you find everything from every part of the of the world, every corner of the world and that man that's why I'm so hopeful for this country for for our lives in general. I love it. Wow, I, I just
0: love that conversation with Gustavo. He is truly one of the most genuine and kind people I've ever met, and I loved getting to spend an hour diving into his story, diving into his music, diving into this complex idea. You should absolutely, hands down, check out his music on Spotify or wherever you stream music. You can just search Gustavo Guerrero, it'll come right up. It's wonderful, and I'm already loving his new single, Promised Land, that just came out. You should also absolutely follow Gustavo on Instagram at Gustavo Guerrero. And please, if you enjoyed this conversation, share about it on your Instagram story or wherever else you share things online. We always love seeing what resonated with people, and it really helps people find the show. But also, this conversation probably is bringing up a lot of thoughts and ideas around you know, some current events. And so, if this is a helpful tool for you, or if you have things that you want to say about this, share about it. We would love to join the conversation. If you're new to Sounds Good, we would love for you to stick around. If you like this conversation in particular, you'd also love my conversation with Jonathan Moya, who shared on his episode about his project to document the US Mexico border with his brother and all of the things that they learned on their journey. You can find this episode and more than 100 other episodes by searching for Sounds Good on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Make sure that you hit subscribe to keep getting more inspiring conversations with incredible people delivered to your phone while you sleep. This podcast is created by me, Brandon Harvey, as a part of Good Good Good, a community that believes in the power of celebrating good news and becoming good news. Chad meckles Nabley and the team at CM Studio edit and mix the show. You can get lots more helpful stories by following us everywhere at goodgoodgoodco. We also create a beautiful quarterly newspaper that celebrates the people, ideas, and movements that are changing the world for the better. You can order it today. Check it out and see what else we do at goodgoodgood good, good, at goodgoodgood.co. Good, and on that note, that is a wrap for this week's episode. Go out and dive into some nuanced conversations this week. Show some empathy towards others. And we'll be back with another inspiring story from an incredible person. Sound good?